Tacos and TKOs, we are live. Episode 27 coming at you on this beautiful Sunday evening in the valley as uh, I'm rocking my Montana Grizz gear, Grizz Nation stand up. What an amazing, amazing playoff game in Montana. Night game, snow game on primetime TV. Uh, love to see it. Wish I was there. They're in the quarterfinals now. Real opportunity to make it to the FCS championship for the first time in quite some time as they're hosting all the games until the championship. So super excited about that. At least one of my teams are doing good. Uh, but we got a stacked UFC show today, MMA show, new fights that have been booked. Touch base a little bit on the Ian Gary drama. I usually don't like to talk about drama, but why not with this one? Uh, some PFL news, Fight Pass news, BKFC news. We'll be recapping Fight Night Austin and uh, previewing UFC Fight Night Vegas 83. They got moved from Shanghai back to Vegas. So let's jump right in. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Episode 27, we out here. So thanks for tuning in. So some fights that have been booked. We have Virna Jandaroba taking on Lupi Godinez uh, March 30th. Uh, that's going to be a, a high-quality fight. Lupi gets the job done, gets a fight booked like a week later. What a savage. You love to see that. Uh, one of the more active women in UFC right now and has been for quite some time. We have a short-notice fill-in fight. We have Anthony Smith versus Khalil Roundtree Jr. going on this weekend. So we'll break that fight down later. We have Rodolfo Vieira taking on Armin Petrosian February 10th for a fight night card. Um, pretty solid fight there. And then exciting. We just had Figueredo, Divison Figueredo make his bantamweight debut. His first opponent outside of Brandon Moreno for, for quite some time. Brandon Moreno has been a little bit more active and has fought other people, but it'll be great seeing him fight somebody else. Brandon Moreno booked against Amir Albazi, who just got a new contract extension. That'll be going on February 24th for the Mexican main event. Five rounder. That's how Moreno rolls, baby. Uh, super excited for that flyweight showdown. Uh, potential winner there for the for the next title shot. And then Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega, supposedly in the works for that UFC Mexico card, but not official. Could you imagine that scrap? I mean, that uh, they had it booked. Ortega got hurt pretty early on. Um, hasn't fought since. So really, just a lot of anticipation to see Ortega back in the octagon. And then Steve Garcia, Melquizil Costa was supposed to happen this weekend in Austin. Not too sure exactly what happened, but that is rebooked for this weekend. Uh, so if you are stoked for that fight, that'll be happening this Saturday. And then there was just the week of the Ian uh, Gary drama. I've been somewhat of an Ian Gary fan just to the fact that I respect his, his ability, the way he's building a character. He's got the video blogs, the good social media uh, but man, taking some fat L's around the world, um, you know, Sean Strickland and everybody else putting their two cents in as his wife uh, had some stuff come up that maybe not factual or not. You know, she's come out and tried to defend herself of what she was doing and the timing of things. Uh, but people showing them sliding into their DMs, even Dylan Dennis, and it just seems a little sketchy uh, on what's happening there, let alone... You know, he kind of deserves it. It's a little bit of karma. What he did with Neil Magny and talking to him about abusing his kid, you know, it's almost cost him in full custody of his child. He's, he's going through a custody battle. So 
Um, yes, you want to be loud like Conor McGregor, but sometimes uh, you don't want that smoke, man. You don't want that smoke. It'll come back to bite you. He said it's motivating him. It's angering him. He's super excited to see what happens. Well, the real test is coming soon as he is fighting a very, very good Vicente Luque. Uh, and I can't wait to see that showdown. Uh, but it, it's been quite the drama. Um, you know, he's a vegetarian. I'm, I'm assuming his wife put that on him. You can see how skinny he is. And, you know, I'm not going to get in the political debate of whether that's good for you or not. I don't believe in it. Uh, obviously, I got a little bit of meat on my bones. You know what I'm saying? Uh, more like a carnivore diet. So that's how we do it. That's how men are supposed to be. Um, but I just thought it was worth bringing up because it was, uh, uh, it, it gave me some good humor throughout the week and man, you just got to be careful for the women out there, man. That's all I got to say. Um, in the PFL, Oliver Aboon Mercier, OAM, ex-UFC fighter, back-to-back million dollar PFL champion has announced his retirement. He talked about taking a year off, but as of now, he is going to be officially hanging him up and retired probably a good move. I don't know, you know, what he's going to benefit from coming back, especially if he takes a year off. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets, you know, no, I wouldn't classify a return fight for him as a super fight, but some sort of, you know, high payday opportunity from the PFL with that Bellator merger in the future. Speaking of PFL news all over the headlines, they have renewed their ESPN deal in a multi-year agreement to show PFL fights on ESPN plus and have the ESPN Plus pay-per-view opportunity, and sometimes it'll be on the actual network just like the UFC, so big moves for them. And I'm always just bringing up guys that, that I always have my eyes on, that I've watched, that I like, whether they're, you know, a lot of them are ex-UFC fighters because I think that's the cream of the crop, but Sage Northcutt booked for one championship for the title fight January 28th. Uh, he, he put on quite a display in his return fight, so I'm excited to see how Sage Northcutt does again. He's still so young with a ton of potential. Um, so we'll tune in and talk about that in the new year. And I forgot to preview this. I, I forgot it was going down. But we had a BKFC event this weekend. And uh, a lot of UFC blood had been spilled in this mat or in this card. We had Jeremy Stevens with a round three TKO over Jimmy Rivera, two ex UFC studs. And Jeremy Stevens is almost like Mike Perry just seems to fit right in with the BKFC style of thing, just out dogging people, you know, getting fractured orbitals, jaws, it don't matter. Jeremy Stevens is a savage man uh, and looked really good in, in regular boxing as well. We had um, for the featherweight title in BKFC, uh, Kai Stewart with the unanimous decision over Howard Davis to retain the, retain the featherweight title. I only caught some uh, social media clips of the Jeremy Stevens fight. There was championship football that day. Grizz were playing, had the UFC event, so I, I couldn't catch them all. But I did end up seeing the full fight, which wasn't very long, uh, where Mike Perry got a round three TKO over Eddie Alvarez, ended up stopping on the stool after round two. That was the main event. Platinum Mike Perry back at it, calling for Anthony Pettis. There's the Darren Till beef. There's not a lack of potential. Maybe Jorge Masvidal. Um, but Mike Perry, the king of BKFC, man, uh, what a performance he put on. And then this weekend, we have that Fight Pass Invitational 5. Was super stoked about it originally. We had GSP, uh, Nick Diaz, but that's not the case. We then got um, Gordon Ryan, who had to pull out due to a rib injury. But we do have some good uh, matches for grappling that's going down Sunday evening. 
think it happens at 6 o'clock Pacific on UFC Fight Pass. If you're a Fight Pass subscriber, we have Amanda Maza taking on Hannah Goldie, um, UFC fighter. So it'll be interesting to see how she does in the grappling. It's all no-gi. It's all um, pretty much just straight grappling. We got Victor Hug taking on Dan Manasoy. Dan, Dan's been on a roll. He's usually on these Fight Pass cards. Speaking of guys on Fight Pass cards, we got the Gordon Ryan nemesis, Nicky Rod. Nicky Rodriguez taking on Yuri Samoez. And then the main event, Felipe Pena taking on Mick, Nick Marigali in the ultimate class. So some solid grappling and scraps if you, you're into that kind of thing. You know, the, the UFC Fight Pass Invitationals, I think, are the best. Usually a lot of UFC blood in there for people in between fights, stay active, stay in weight, you know, make some money and improve that grappling game. But that really sums it up in the MMA world. We're going to jump right into UFC Fight Night Austin and what a card it was. I ended up going 6-4 and four with my picks, so that now puts me at 128-81-3 so far in 27 episodes of Bows and TKOs. Um, so, you know, it's a healthy, good almost 50-plus on the picks. Um, but some good fights we did not break down. We had the fight of the night. Rodolfo Bellato with a wild round two comeback, man. Literally got destroyed, almost knocked out early in the second round. And then somehow battled back in the second round to um, get a get a finish uh, against Ihor Poteria and win that fight of the night. Uh, pretty early in the prelims, actually. Was a tone setter. And then the, the day of slams, man. We had Cody Brundage with a slam knockout against Zachary Reese. A huge win. Big finish for, Misty, for Mr. Cody Brundage. And since I'm looking at this right now, I want to see. Dana said he gave out seven bonuses. The UFC website has not reflected that unless it's changed. Uh, so I don't know who they all went to besides the fight of the night and the main event getting performance of the night. But I would assume just anyone who got a finish. Let's see. Um, so 500,000. Performance of the Knights were also um, the Jalen Turner win, Sean Brady, Dustin Stoltzfus, Misha Tate, Drakkar Close, and Jared Gooden. So lots of bonuses, spreading the wealth, um, and quite the show was put on in Austin. Joe Rogan, even in attendance as a fan, didn't have to do... The calling usually doesn't do fight night cards, uh, but it was a stacked stacked situation there. Uh, beat the gate record. Uh, good good vibes and environment there. I had a good time watching those leading up to the Montana game. But we're going to kick this bad boy off right in the prelims. We had Veronica Hardy with a split decision victory over Jamie Lynn North. And, you know, Veronica was the underdog. I took the dog and she came out uh, and, and showed me right. Uh, what a performance by Veronica. You know, clearly her work with Dan has paid big dividends. She really dominated the first two rounds of this fight. She she had great combos, and it wasn't just a 1-2. It was like a 1-2-3-4 with the kick, you know, 5-6 um, amount in, in, in her combos. And she was just willing to exchange where Jamie undefeated, hasn't fought super upper-level competition, but just wasn't willing to exchange as much. She was measured. Veronica was quick in and out. And I think that threw Jamie off a little bit. And then the game plan that you would expect Jamie as a lengthier fighter, uh, maybe a little better in the grappling department, her game plan started kicking in in round three, and it was just a little too late, too little too late at that time. 
as she had Veronica clinched up against the cage. She was getting some good uppercuts, some good uh, shots landed. Got a nice elbow that put a nice moose on uh, Veronica's uh, like upper upper forehead. Um, but Veronica was able to steal the victory with the dominant start to that fight. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think it's pretty simple to say Veronica's best performance in the UFC thus far. So Veronica landed 61 total strikes, 43 of which were significant, and she did have a takedown in two attempts. And Jamie landed 74 total strikes, 43 significant. She had one takedown and three attempts. So Veronica now extends her winning streak to two, both of them in 2023, after that three-year layoff. And Jamie suffers her first pro loss after six wins um, in the UFC. So um, she's one and one in the UFC. I'd love to see Veronica next take on Montana De La Rosa. I think that would be a great matchup. And for Jamie, how about Melissa Gatto? Uh, but good fight early in the prelims there. And it's just crazy some of the situations leading into the, this fight and, and other ones on the card. We had Jared Gooden with a round two submission via rear naked choke over Wellington Terman. Uh, this was a fight I did not get right. But man, Wellington to start, I was like, all right, we're looking good. He came out of the gates on fire, man. He was piecing up Jared, putting on a striking cl clinic like he has not really dominated that that well in, in quite some time you know he's coming off a couple tough losses he had a big takedown slam jared looked super comfortable um more comfortable striking than I, I i've seen him in quite some time and then round two jared just clips him with a huge right hook stiffles him up gets the shaky legs um and really just rocked his world and uh jared from there was like hey i'm going for it man um Pretty solid power punches, just aiming for the head, looking to get the finish, and that's exactly what he did, and it was a, a major shocker, no doubt. Um, a tough break for Wellington. He's still so young, though, tra training with Alex Pereira, Glover Teixeira. I'm sure he'll he'll get things, you know, back up and running, but statistically, Wellington landed 46 total strikes, 37 of them significant with a takedown, and Jared landed 62 total, 53 of which were significant, he had a takedown and a submission attempt of his own. Now, Jared starts a new winning streak. He moves to 2-1 this year. He's 1-1 in his return to the UFC. And Wellington extends his losing streak to 3. He has not won since February of 2022. He's been trying to stay active, get that win in the win column. Brutal loss for him, though. No disrespect to Jared. He put on a show. But this is a fight Wellington's got to win. So where do these guys go next? Well, for me, how about Jared versus AJ Fletcher? And for Wellington, how about Miguel Baeza, who is also on a three-fight losing streak? Two very quality and competent fighters going through a rough patch. Both guys putting it on the line. Uh, that'd be a fantastic matchup. And then moving on, we had Drakkar close with a round one knockout over Joe Selecki. A viral knockout at that. Um, big, big performance by Drakkar. Uh, I'm glad that he was able to get a win. Um, but Joe came out with a game plan right out the gates as well. A lot of these people coming forward, just getting right into action. Uh, he got a takedown, which Jakar has, you know, a pretty solid wrestling background. And, uh, you know, he was able to get that takedown with ease, but Jakar was able to battle up, keep his back up against the cage, was able to get a reversal, get on top. And then a few minutes later, Joe was putting it in an arm bar, 
Drakkar, usually when you pick up an armbar, you like pick him up and try to put him down or slam him down. He straight just muscled Joe, put him on his side, and slammed him where his temple just got rocked off the cage, completely out. And um, I can't remember who all was on the play-by-play for this. Uh, I think it was Michael Bisbing saying, I don't remember a time when we've seen a slam knockout where it was something like that, maybe drop straight on your head like Rose Namajunas did, but to pick him up and slam him sideways, that was savagery and made for quite the viral knockout. So uh, welcome um, to Austin, Drakkar Close. And it was cool. I was at uh, the um, Lookout Tavern, which is a cool place here that shows the fights for free. Uh, Drakkar was watching the fights when it was, I guess, UFC 296. Uh, It was cool seeing him uh, out and about and uh, what a performance he had here. It only took Drakkar eight total and two significant strikes with that reversal. And Joe landed nine total strikes, one of them significant. He had a takedown, but in two attempts. So Drakkar now extends his winning streak to three all in 2022. What a year, or all since 2022. Uh, What a good couple years here, uh, especially after having all that time off. And Joe ends his two-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. So what I would like to see, man, I want to see Drakkar Close take on Joel Alvarez. I think that would be an awesome matchup. And for Joe, how about Mark Madsen? That is if he's still fighting. He's a little bit older, coming off a loss. I'm not too sure if he wants to keep going. Uh, So if if not, how about Claudio Puez? And then Misha Tate. Ain't no cupcake about Tate and Austin, man. She got a round three submission via face crank. It wasn't really a rear naked choke. It was kind of smashing uh, Julia Avila's jaw. Uh, but great win by Misha. I mean, she wanted to come out and prove people wrong. And she was the underdog. And that's why I put money on Misha. Because I knew she was going to show up and show out. If she's still fighting, she's taking that shit seriously. And it was a classic cupcake performance. Beautiful grappling. Up against the cage. Getting aggressive. Great top control. And was even just really able to wear on Julia through the course of the two rounds. By in the third round, once she was just kind of smashing on that John and cranking her a little bit, you know, Julia was willing to tap. And it was just a complete dominated domination by Misha. And it's great to see her have performances like that. And, you know, I thought the odds were a little bit of slap in the face for her. And she proved her wrong. She says, I've never been outside the top 10. I'm 12. I want to prove people I, I belong back in the top 10. Misha, take, tell them. Um, statistically, it took Misha 33 total and significant strikes. She had a knockdown as well. And Julia only landed 15 total and significant. So huge win for Misha. She ends her two-fight losing streak and starts a new winning streak. She has since returned back to bantamweight after the one flyweight uh, stint. And she said she didn't really... You know, she wanted to change things up late in her career, see if it would work. Didn't really work out for her. She didn't feel like she was her best cutting that weight. Uh, so welcome back to Bantamweight. And Julia ends her two or ends her winning streak, starts a new losing streak. She is now two and two since 2020. So hasn't been super active. Um, but back to the drawing board. I I I'm pretty damn positive. You could ask anyone, and they would agree. We need to get Misha Tate, Holly Holm booked again. Um, I think that would be next. That would be a blessing for fight fans. I'm not too sure what's in store for UFC 300. I know it's coming, but that would be a great fight in UFC 300. 
And for Julia, how about Jocelyn Edwards as she looks to get back on track? Jumping into the main card, we had uh, Joaquin Silva with unanimous decision victory over the OG Clay Guida. And uh, although Clay took the loss, man, the Pantera walkout, the energy, the vibe with the fans is such classic Clay. And this was a pretty close fight, although it was unanimous decision. You know, Clay definitely came on strong more in the second half of the fight. But really what it was was him looking to grapple, him getting sloppy and not landing on the mark. And Silva was just outstriking him. And when he landed, he was hitting that target. And he had a little bit more damaging and heavy, heavy shots over the course of three rounds. Where in my opinion, I thought Clay was going to be moving and, and just getting points throughout three rounds to outpoint Silva. But that wasn't quite the case. And he took some shots. I mean, for how old Clay is and how many professional fights this dude's got on his record, the durability and the endurance that he still has at this point in his career, you know, he, he could still win fights at this level. And that's pretty crazy to see. You know, I was kind of calling for him to, he should probably call it a career quite a while ago, but he's still out there doing the damn thing. Statistically, Clay landed 63 total strikes. 43 of them were significant. He had two takedowns compared to uh, uh, Joaquim's 85 total, 46 significant strikes. He had two takedowns and three attempts, taking out the grappler, and he had two submission attempts as well. So Silva ends his one-fight losing streak. He starts a new winning streak, and he moves to 2-1 since 2022. And Clay extends his losing streak to 2 or extends his losing streak to two, and he is one in three since 2022. So for Silva, I think a fight with Mark DeCasey, that would be a good matchup. And for Clay, how about Christos Giagos? Then moving in in the main card, we had Dustin Stoltzfus with a round two submission via rear naked choke over Punahili Soriano. Uh, this was another fight I got wrong. I got the Silva fight wrong as well. And... I mean, Dustin was just a lot cleaner with his striking and game plan in this fight. I mean, both dudes landed some big shots. I mean, we're at middleweight. These guys are shredded. You know, they're going to throw down. Um, but Dustin just had advantages everywhere. And that was a little bit surprising for me. Um, his ability to get the takedowns on Puna especially. I thought Puna would close distance better. And um, it just didn't seem like he had much of a game plan. And if he did, Dustin threw him off with whatever he was providing. But... Dustin was pretty much uh, clearly in control throughout the whole fight. Statistically, Puna only got off 33 total strikes, 31 of them significant, compared to Dustin's 78 total, 64 significant, and four takedowns in seven attempts. So he was getting them at will. He had a submission attempt, had a knockdown. I would not have expected any of that. I, I mean, four takedowns. If you would tell me, you know, he's going to get those takedowns and knock down Puna, I would have been quite shocked. So what a performance by Dustin Stoltzfus. Puna now extends his losing streak to two after this fight. And he's only one and three since 2022. And for Dustin, he starts a new winning streak and moves to two and one since 2022. So for Dustin, I think uh, timely. A fight with Cody Brundage, who also won on this fight. That would be a, a good matchup. And for Puna, he could take on Josh Fremd. And another one that was a little bit of a shocker, I'm not too surprised, honestly, but Sean Brady, um, well, I guess I didn't even put it on there. How did he get the finish here? Was it round two? With a round three uh, submission via rear naked choke over Kelvin Gastelum and his return to welterweight. 
And we want to talk about complete domination. Sean just dominated Kelvin with the grappling. Um, Sean had been out for, you know, a little bit over a year. Because in his first pro loss, you know, we talked about it last week, he got beat down by Bilal Muhammad. And when you're undefeated, you're coming in, you know, trying to have the strong fortitude that you could beat anyone's ass. And Bilal Muhammad does you like he did. Uh, it's going to take some time. He talked about after the fight, getting his mental game together and really working on his his the sports psychology aspect of this. And uh, he went to work. He clearly went to work and said that I'm going to focus on my strengths to get back in the winning column. I'm going to grapple the shit out of my opponents. Um, nobody's going to be able to compete with me. And even the play-by-play people were like, hey, I know for a lot of fight fans, just watching a guy grapple over the course of three rounds maybe not be what you wanted to pay for. But the grappling that Sean Brady put on display, I mean, golly. And he's doing it against a dude that's not a terrible grappler. You know, Kelvin can grapple some people. He's been there, done that. And uh, he had no answers in Austin, Texas, because Sean Brady just put on a beautiful display. The intrigue for this fight, where I thought it would be a potential fight of the night, potential fight of the year candidate, was I thought that these two were going to be on their feet a lot. And uh, I thought Kelvin was going to be doing a lot of kicks, which he did. They were sloppy that you could give. He was giving tells when he was going to throw. And that led to takedowns for Sean Brady. Um, but I thought we were going to see a lot more striking. That wasn't the case. I don't blame Sean. Get back in the wind column. Go back to the drawing board. And even in his post-fight interview, he said that, you know, expect that from me more often. So, you know, he might just go to the well and, and do that when he needs to. If, if, you know, he feels comfortable standing up in certain matchups, I'm sure him and his team will be willing to do that as well. But clearly he has a lot to clean up there from the Muhammad fight. But wow, wow. I mean, Sean Brady, bravo, man. So Sean landed 97 total strikes, only 14 significant. A lot of that was while grappling, a little touchy-feely stuff. Uh, but he had five takedowns, five for five. So again, brilliant grappling display, three submission attempts to add as well. And Kelvin only landed 21 total strikes, 18 significant with the reversal. I mean, if you would have told me he only is throwing 21 uh, shots in almost three full rounds, I would have been like, there is no way, no way in hell. But that's what Sean did. So Sean gets back in the winning streak. He's one and one since 2022. Obviously he took that, you know, pretty much the full year off after that loss. And Kelvin ends his one fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. He now moves to two and three since 2021. So I had a tough go at it of late, especially with injuries and everything else. It'll be interesting to see if he wants to stay at welterweight. I think that would be the move uh, for him, but time will tell. Um, but for, for next fights, I think it's simple. You got to make Sean Brady, Jeff Neal. That's going to be a banger. And for Kelvin, give me a matchup with Michael Chiesa. That'd make a ton of sense. The fact that these two haven't even fought before is a little shocking. And I think Michael Chiesa would be super down to fight a name like Kelvin who's been there, has a good accolades, and has a good resume. So let, let's make those fights happen. And moving on, man, the bantamweight debut of Divison Figueredo. Um, I'm not too shocked. I just was, was betting safe on this, but he got the unanimous decision victory over Rob Font and what a debut it was. I mean, taking on a well-proven experience, Rob Font, and this fight was totally controlled by Figgy. Um, the size wasn't too much for him. He actually had a speed advantage, which you shouldn't be surprised about. I mean, him at flyweight with Brandon Moreno was wa like watching Dragon Ball Z with the speed they have. 
Uh, but what surprised me is he threw a lot more volume than Rob. And when he threw, he was landing. He was quick. He was finding the mark. Rob was whiffing a lot of stuff and hitting air. And, um, you know, Rob's definitely struggled with uh, people wanting to grapple with him. Figgy's been training uh, with Henry Cejudo and the Fight Ready team and clearly has, has put that into strategy. He's looking for takedowns pretty often early in the fight. And Rob wasn't ready for that. I thought Rob would, would do a lot better. I thought he'd be prepared for that. And it just seemed like he just wanted to go out, try to get that jab going and box him. And and he didn't even have the speed. Every time he was trying to circle to find Figgy, Figgy was out. And then Figgy was in, landed some nice shots, got out, come in for a takedown. And it was a, it was a pretty clean sweep here. It was kind of a messy fight. For as talented as both of these guys are and what I've seen from them, I just expected cleaner performances. But... Sometimes you, you, you fight a dog, you, you got to find a way to win ugly a little bit. Um, but very, very impressed by Divison's bantamweight debut. And, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see who's willing to take fights with this dude in the bantamweight division. Statistically, Rob landed 48 total strikes, 46 of them significant. He was 0 for 2 in his own takedown attempts, which I, I don't really classify those as takedown attempts. Uh, but Figgy landed 53 total and 45 significant strikes. And had four takedowns and seven attempts. So you're, if you're shooting better than 50%, I mean, if you want to take down, you're pretty much getting it. So Rob extends his losing streak to two. He is now one and three since 2022. And Devison ends his one fight losing streak, starts a new winning streak, first new opponent since the Brandon Moreno uh, quadrilogy uh, since 2020 when he fought Alex Perez. So it's got to feel nice, got to boost that confidence. Uh, but this guy's an assassin, and I'm super excited to add him to the bantamweight division because, you know, in my opinion, from 1 to 50, the bantamweight division's the best. I would put middleweight the second, and then 1 to probably 25, I'd go with lightweight, the best division in the UFC. So what's next? I mean, Pewter Jan hinted on Twitter he'd be down. Why not? Give me Pewter Jan. Give me Divas and Figueredo. I mean, sheesh, that would be awesome. I would love to see that fight. And for Rob, how about a fight with Saeed Nurmagomedov? A little bit further back in the rankings. Got to get something back on track, but you got to get that wrestling defense in there. You can't just have guys coming in and get takedowns. And I'm not saying Devison's not a great grappler, but that's not something that's his focal point. And he could come in, move up a division, and get those at will. You, you got to take some time to work on that for sure. Moving on, short notice, Jalen Turner with a round one knockout of Bobby Green. And I called that Jalen would uh, look to go for broke a little bit. He seemed a little aggravated that he had to do this on short notice, cut the weight. He did make the weight. Um, and, uh, yeah, he came out, and, and, and he, wanted, he wanted that smoke, man. Um, he got after it right from the start of the fight, as I expected. Ten days notice. He had a tough weight cut. You, you just had a feeling he was going to take some risks. Um, he was going to look to try to get a finish, and that's exactly what his game plan was. He controlled distance beautifully with his length. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be longer than him. And Bobby couldn't really get anything going. He was out there every time Jalen was piecing him up from the edge. He'd land a kick. He'd just be like, oh, that was nothing. He'd land a, a punch. He'd be like, oh, nothing. You know, Bobby, classic Bobby with his hands down. But uh, probably should have put his hands up in this fight. That distance plus the speed of the tarantula. I mean, he was landing everywhere he wanted to. Um, and uh, Bobby probably spent more time showboating uh, than actually looking to get in range. When he did get in range, he landed a big right hand flush on the button. 
Um, but Jalen was taken over. And, uh, you know, one of the worst things that you hate to see in the UFC is a ref that just lets somebody take way too many shots. I mean, clearly when Bobby, you know, is getting rocked from Jalen, he got sat down, Jalen followed up, he's on top of him. When Bobby turns and, and goes belly down and his head is just bouncing off the canvas, do we need to give the dude more damage? I hate to see it. Dana White said he, he called it one of the worst stoppages he's ever seen in the UFC. Uh, so brutal night in the office for that ref. I, I mean, uh, the world of MMA, uh, especially social media, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Um, people have been pretty brutal on this dude. And a guy like Bobby, I hate to see it, man. But what a soldier. He, he, he congratulated Jalen on the performance. You know, that's his homie. I mean, they're not best of friends, I would, I would assume. But, you know, the, the, they're probably got some sort of connection. And he just wanted to say, you know, thanks for stepping up on short notice, taking the fight. You got the win well-deserved. So Bobby's in great spirits. He'd love to see it. Brilliant display by Jalen Turner. That's got to be a great win for him. He's got to be feeling on top of the world. I saw him today on social media posting about skateboarding, so he, he must be doing all right. Uh, statistically, Jalen landed 33 total and significant strikes. He did have the knockdown. Bobby only getting off 15 total and significant strikes. That's crazy to not even get in a war and finish Bobby like that. Bravo, Jalen. Bravo. So Jalen ends his two-fight losing streak. He starts a new winning streak. He is 3-2 since 2022. And Bobby ends his two-fight winning streak. He does start a new losing streak. He is 3-3 three three with a no contest since 2022. He's still out there fighting. He's trying to get that cheddar. So what's next? Well, give me Jalen Turner and Drew fucking Dober. You know, he doesn't seem interested in the Renato Moicano fight. He said that Moicano is calling for everyone. He's over it. So why not just let him scrap with another striker and Drew Dober? You know he's going to be game. And for Bobby, a scrap with Diego Ferreira, that would be a fantastic stylistic matchup. So let's make those two happen in the lightweight division. Then we had the main event of the evening. Armin Sarukian with a round one knockout over Benil Dariush. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. And I mean, Wow. Armand Sukarian, he is just rolling through the UFC, 27 years old. Dariush at the beginning of the fight came out, looked measured, didn't look like he had that killer instinct about him. He was calm, cool, collected. I know that's kind of his thing, uh, but it just didn't seem to have that killer instinct. He whipped up a couple nice leg ki uh, body kicks uh, that seemed to land some damage, uh, but Armand came in. I don't want to say it was a fake knee, but gave him the knee. It was probably three quarters up there, damn close to connecting. Boom, landed a big right hook and just sat Benil down. And the amount of wars that Benil's been in, I just, you've never seen anything like that. But after that, man, Armin, Armin is a rocket ship stock in the UFC right now. He's looking for that Islam rematch. You know, he, he brought Islam to unanimous decision victory in his UFC debut at 22. He's now 27. Nobody's done Benil like that. I would love to see that fight, and I'm sure the UFC is preparing for that fight down the road. Um, Islam, Armand, Sarukian, one hell of a matchup that'll be. Statistically, it only took Armin eight total and significant strikes. He did have the knockdown, 
and Benil landed two total and significant strikes. So Armin now extends his winning streak to three. He's four and one since 2022. And Benil ends or extends his losing streak to two. But I will say, um, you know, Dana says it got caught on video and there's stuff like this all the time. But the Armin coming up to Bobby Green saying he's talking shit with this whole squad. Almost had a hotel fight. Then Bobby comes up with his crew. A couple people throw a couple shots. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of drama there. And I thought that might affect Armin in this fight. Clearly it did not. But I hate that, you know, Armin's out there saying, well, it was nice to see Bobby get his head bounced off the canvas a few extra times and get that damage. Meanwhile, Bobby said nothing. He just moved on. Congratulated Jalen Turner. So there's definitely a, a little bit of lack of sportsmanship for the young guy. I'm sure he's full of confidence and, uh, you know, he, he's doing what he's doing, but you better watch out. So what's next? Um, you know, he wants a title shot. I don't think that'll happen. That's going to be Charles Dubronx, in my opinion. So why not get that fight with Justin Gaethje? The winner there, the clear next fighter for a title. I mean, that's a win-win. And for Benil, how about a fight with Rafael Faziv, who's also coming off a loss? I mean, those are certified bangers. Whoo! What a what a card in Austin, though. Lots of good finishes, lots of performance bonuses for for Dana. You love to see it. A little bit of a little bit of a couple shockers, some OGs there. Um, Misha getting the win, Clay not so much, and then uh, plenty of uh, plenty of finishes, which that's what people want to see. And how about Figgy in the bantamweight division, man? So you would naturally think after a card like that, although not a pay per view. Um, you know, oh, cool. We have another apex fight, fight night, Vegas, 83. Uh, it is what it is. This is still a solid fight night card. So I'm excited to preview it. We have the prelims on 4 PM Pacific Saturday on ESPN plus the main card on seven at 7 PM Pacific, also ESPN plus. So we're not going to break down all these fights, but we have the road to UFC winner Hunsung park. He's taking on Shannon Ross in the prelims. We have Song Kanan taking on Kevin Jusit. That should be a fun scrap. Good styles. We have Contender Series alum Daniel Marcos taking on Carlos Vera, who was in this season of The Ultimate Fighter. He wasn't the uh, veterans. He was one of the young bloods. And then um, we have the rebooked Steve Garcia, Melquizil Costa fight that was supposed to happen this weekend. But we're going to kick this bad boy off in the prelims. We got Tatsuro Tyra. 23-year-old fighter, undefeated with a 14-0 record, taking on Carlos Hernandez, 30 years old with a 9-2 record. Now, both of these men, obviously different in age, different spots in their careers. But this is going to be one of the stiffer tests of Tatsuro's young UFC career, just another building block at 23 years old. And Tyra is definitely one of the more intriguing young fighters on the roster, you know, especially... Um, you know, has championship potential in the flyweight division. And Carlos, he's been solid since coming into the UFC after his contender series victory. So this should be a fun scrap. Breaking it down, Tatsuro has a purple belt in BJJ. Two of his last three performance or fights have been performance of the night. You know, he's been showing out, getting those finishes. He is undefeated on a 14 fight winning streak. Four of them have been in the UFC. Seven of his 14 wins are via submission, and he even has a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Carlos is a Titan FC, LFA, and Contender Series alum. He is on a one-fight winning streak, 
and four of his nine wins are also via submission. I really do think this will be a, a fun back-and-forth affair. I think it's actually going to be more of a striking battle, but it'll be good to see how Tatsuro develops in that department because he likes to get those takedowns and get the grappling exchanges. But Carlos is durable. You know, he's in his prime. He usually fights really close fights, and I would expect this to be very similar. I think if Tatsuro is able to get a submission on Carlos, I mean, that's very impressive from a guy that's, that's got good uh, grappling background. So it'll be really interesting to see if he could stick to his typical game plan or if we're going to see a lot more striking from Tatsuro. I'm super intrigued by that. But I am taking the undefeated Tatsuro in this fight. We are putting him on a parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Luana Santos, 23 years old with a 6-1 record, taking on Stephanie Egger, 35 years old with an 8-4 record. Now, here is a matchup of a young fighter looking to get more experience versus a more experienced fighter looking to get that momentum in the UFC, right? Really looking to have that consistency and move up the rankings. So breaking it down, Luana is an LFA alum. She's on a three-fight winning streak. She is 1-0 in the UFC, and three of her six wins are via submission. Stephanie has a black belt in judo. She's an Evicta and Risen alum. She's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two two since 2022. Four of her eight wins are via submission. Now, I think Stephanie's grappling and experience is going to pay big dividends in this fight. You know, she's taken on a 23-year-old after a loss. There's a ton on, on the line for her, especially at 35 years old. So I think she's going to come in with a good game plan, be aggressive, and show the young blood what the UFC is all about. For that reason, I'm taking the underdog, Stephanie. I am putting her on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. The underdogs are, keep, are going to keep eating. <laughs> now in the main card. What a fun way to kick off the main card. We have Jun Young, the Iron Turtle Park. 32 years old with a 17-5 record. Taking on Andre Sergipano Muniz, 33 years old with a 23-6 record. Now to kick off the main card, this is a little bit of a different situation. These are two men in their prime. There's no more young versus old. It should deliver with a fucking solid scrap. Get the vibe strong in the apex for the rest of the main card. And I'm super excited for this one. Breaking it down, um, Park trains out of Korean top team. He is on a four-fight winning streak. Six of his 17 wins are via submission, five via knockout. So 11 of his 17 uh, wins via finish. And two of his five losses are via submission. Now, Andre is a southpaw fighter. He has a third-degree black belt in BJJ a dark blue Prajit in Muay Thai. He had the 2021 submission of the year against Ronaldo Souza, and he's a Contender Series two-time alum, Contender Series Brazil, then the Contender Series, and he is on a two-fight losing streak. 15 of his 23 wins are via submission, and five of his six losses are via knockout. He does have some length here. He has a five-inch reach advantage and a four-inch leg reach advantage in this fight. Now, honestly, I picked against him a few times. The Iron Turtle's been on quite a run. But in this fight, he is now, you know, lurking around the top 15, top 20. 
and he's fighting a really, really good grappler that's in desperate need of a win coming off two losses this year. And I think Andre is going to come out aggressive. I think he's going to come forward. Striking in this fight should be pretty evenly matched up, in my opinion. But I do expect Andre to find a way to get parked down, whether it's clinching him up against the cage, maybe some leg sweeps, or even some takedowns mixed in with his combos. But as long as Muniz doesn't gas himself out, I like him with better, obviously, jiu-jitsu. And I believe that he's going to do enough in the striking um, to get the job done. But he has been known to go a little bit too hard, too fast, and he gasses out later in the fight. You know, Park has shown his durability and that he's gone deep into fights. So he's going to really have to be careful there. But, um, you know, Muniz has fought some dudes. He's, he's um, outstruck Uriah Hall and beat him. Although he lost to these guys, he's fought Brendan Allen and Paul Craig. And Park really doesn't have that experience. I don't think that that's really a terrible thing, and I think he has a great chance in this fight. But I think that the urge and or the urgency to get a win here for Muniz is going to be huge. And he's a big dude. He packs a punch. He has been known to get knocked out. So I could see the Iron Turtle being durable and just kind of withstanding the first round and then going on, pouring on volume and stealing the fight from Muniz, maybe even getting a knockout. But I'm taking Muniz. I'm avoiding this on a parlay if possible, though. Then moving on, we have Nazrat Haparist, the 28-year-old fighter with a 15-5 and record, taking on Jamie Malarkey, 29 years old with a 17-6 and record. Now, this is an intriguing matchup of two very similar fighters who have had a kind of similar path uh, in the lightweight division the past couple of years. And a win here for either dude is really going to set them up in a really deep division, right? You know, the lightweight division is no joke. And if they get a win here, as they enter their prime, they'll be right where you would want to be, you know, and have all your hard work pay off. So there's a ton on the line here. Now, Nasra is on a two-fight winning streak, and he is 3-2 and two since 2021. Nine of his 15 wins are via knockout. Now, Jamie has a BJJ style with the black belt. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-2 and two since 2022. And although he's got a BJJ background, 10 of his 17 wins are via knockout. Four of his six losses are also via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, both fighters have recently had unanimous decision wins over John McDessey, so some recent opponents. They haven't really finished their opponents in a win for quite some time. So I do expect a three-round just dogfight here. My assumption is that Nasrat will have the striking advantage and the like non-jujitsu grappling advantage up against the cage, looking for takedowns. Uh, but obviously, uh, Jamie will have the actual jujitsu back or uh, advantage. And for Jamie, I do believe he's going to try to, you know, put some wrists out there to to get a finish with some big shots. I don't think that opportunity is going to come very often. I expect Nazrat to push forward, close the distance with Jamie, push him up against the cage, wear on him, mix in some wrestling. And for that reason, I am taking Nazrat, um, but I am avoiding this on a parlay if possible. Moving into the flyweight showdown here. We have the Tibetan Eagle Sumadari, the 27-year-old fighter with a 16-5 and record and the number 12 next to his name, taking on Alan Piro Oso Nascimento, 32 years old, with a 20-6 and record. 
Now, this flyweight showdown is two just hyperactive fighters looking to inch into that top 15. Both have done well early in their UFC careers, so this should be a fantastic matchup. Breaking it down, Sumaderi, he has a Sonda style. He trains out of American Top Team. Two of his last three fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night, so he's been showing out. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 3-2 and two in the UFC since 2018, so hasn't been super active over the time, especially with COVID and some of those difficulties. 13 of his 16 wins are via knockout, and all five of his losses are via submission. Now, Allen trains out of shootbox Diego Lima with some dogs. He is a Risen and Contender Series alum. He is on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 and one in the UFC. 14 of his 20 wins are via submission. Now, for the most part, I would say this fight is a great striker, striker versus a grappler. I think, though, right once the fight starts, this is going to go 0 to 100, which is pretty normal for flyweights. And I expect Allen to look for the takedown early and often. I do think Allen is going to make this fight more of his style, grimy, slower paced. And, and is it going to just sit there and trade with Sumaderi throughout the entire fight? I think he will be willing to exchange, but he's thinking about where to mix in that grappling. Um, I think he's going to have that huge grappling advantage. I would not be surprised if we see a Nascimento submission here. For that reason, I am taking Nascimento. We are putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. The short notice fill-in fight. We got Anthony Lionheart Smith, 35 years old, with a 37-18 and 18 record, and the number eight next to his name, taking on Khalil Roundtree Jr., 33 years old, with a 13-5 record, and the number 11 next to his name. Now, this is intriguing. When I saw this get booked, I was pretty excited. Azamat Merzakhanov had a pullout due to pneumonia symptoms, so insert Anthony. And Khalil, man, he has been on an absolute terror since 2022. He's continuing to climb up the rankings, and now he squares up with just a, a fighter that's been a staple of the light heavyweight division for quite some time. Breaking it down, Anthony trains out of Factory X. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's a Strike Force, RFA, Bellator alum, and Cage Fury alum, and was the former Cage Fury champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak. 20 of his 37 wins are via knockout, 14 via submission, so 34 of his 37 wins via finish, and 10 of his 18 losses are via knockout. Now, Khalil is a southpaw fighter. He trains at a syndicate MMA. Two of his last three fights have been performance of the night. He's been on a roll. He's been putting on performances, and he's been making that bread. He is an ultimate fighter and RFA alum. He's on a four-fight winning streak, and eight of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, Jalen Turner just showed us, you know, you could take on a short-notice fight, turn it into a good experience, but that really isn't always the case. We saw that in Abu Dhabi. Um, mentally, I think Khalil has to be on top of the world with his confidence, how he's performing. He had a massive win against Dustin Jacoby last year. And Anthony clearly has spent a lot of time with ESPN. He's been doing a lot of analyst work, which does not to say you can't do both. 
But when we look at this fight, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, Anthony has fought some of the best in the light heavyweight division. He fought guys like Johnny Walker, Magomed Ankalaev, although he lost to them. And to be honest, with, let's see, 55 professional fights, I feel like Lionheart's been around forever. He's only 35. He's technically still in his fighting prime. And I believe that both men, they're going to have a heavy dose of kicking in this fight. But Khalil's kicks are on a different level. There's levels to this game, and this guy has kick power for days. I think that's going to be the difference maker in this fight. Anthony obviously hasn't had a full fight camp, so I'm intrigued to see how he attacks this. Is like, you know, he's a little bit of an analyst. He studies these guys' films. He's probably broken down in his fights before. And clearly, he, he must have liked this matchup, taking it on short notice, unless the UFC just threw the bag at him, which is possible. Um, but there's got to be something in there that Anthony sees. I think Khalil's going to come out with those kicks. I'm worried about him injuring and damaging Lionheart because we've seen that quite often. But Smith has done well against some heavy hitters like Ryan Spann. So if he could mix in the grappling, he could keep things at range and distance and be moving on his feet well, keeping on that bicycle, there's going to be an opportunity. I'm not betting on that for short notice. For safe measure, I'm taking Khalil Roundtree. I'm avoiding this on any parlay if possible. Moving on to the main event, a bantamweight showdown between Song, the Kung Fu Kid Yadong, 26 years old, with a 27-1 record, and the number seven next to his name, taking on Chris El Guapo Gutierrez, the 32-year-old fighter with a 19-4-2 record, and the number 14 next to his name. I mean, what a fun main event this is. Song is only 26 years old. He's been a freaking problem for the bantamweight division for the, the past few years. He has very high hopes, especially as a potential male um, uh, UFC champion from China because they haven't had a, a male one yet. He has already fought some of the best competition in the division. Now he gets to take on Chris who is in his prime. He's got some confidence. He's had a lot of wins lately, but the time is now for Chris. He's 32. He's in the top 15. You can't lose to a guy ranked higher than you. You get thrown right back out the top 15. Then you got to fight a lot of up-and-comers and, and, and attempt to try to make a real name for yourself in the UFC. So there is a lot more on the line for Chris, if you ask me. Now, breaking it down, Song has a Sanda style. He trains at a Team Alpha Male. Two of his last three fights have been performance of the night. He's a one alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 4-2 since 2021. And nine of his 20 wins are via knockout. Now, Chris trains out of Factory X. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He is a Bellator World Series of Fighting and LFA alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak and he is 3-1 since 2022. Nine of his 20 wins are via knockout. I think this fight is really going to be Song doing his boxing and mixing in some grappling, and then the kicks of Gutierrez. The challenge here is Chris has never had a five-round fight in the UFC. I don't know if he ever has. And I think that Song's going to have the advantage there. But when it comes to Chris, he definitely is a little bit of a slow starter and isn't as active. Uh, I think that could help him in this fight a little bit. 
but I think Song is going to come in, close the distance, so Chris just can't sit out there and sit at range and fire those nasty kicks. You got to come in, close the distance, get your box, get in a telephone booth, push him up against the cage, look to get that grappling done, and he trains with a good grappling camp, so I don't think that'll be an issue. Maybe even do some clitches, get some knees in there. I think Song's going to be confident. He's going to control this fight. He's going to put out way more activity, and if it does go all five, I'd be shocked, but I would still take Yadong in a, in a decision. For that reason, we're taking the young blood song. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Back-to-back action. You got to enjoy it. Next week, a massive, massive pay-per-view card in Las Vegas, UFC 296, headlined by Leon Edwards and Colby Covington. And then we have another title fight in the co-main. We got the flyweight showdown between Alexandre Pantoja and Brandon Rawdog Royval. Then we have a big break. As of now, I don't know if this will change. It's a three-week break after this fight card with Christmas and the New Year coming in. And then we have an Apex card going down on January 13th. So get your fill of fights in. Enjoy the fights. Let me know what you think about him. Hit me up at Bows and TKOs on X or Instagram. Super excited. Episode 27. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.